0: Hello, everyone. I am Melinda Brianna Epler, founder and CEO of Change Catalyst and author of How to Be an Ally. I'm your host of Leading with Empathy and Allyship. Welcome. Allyship is about learning, showing empathy and taking action. That process often includes learning, unlearning and relearning, then building empathy for people with different experiences and above all, taking consistent action. So each week, we'll learn from somebody new. Please be open to new ways of thinking and understanding. You can learn more about my work and sign up to join us for a live recording at ally.cc. Let's get started. Today, our guest is Claudia Miller, career coach at Claudia T. Miller, LLC. We'll be talking today about how we can all improve the pathway for women to be leaders in the workplace. And that includes a, a mindset shift that people with underrepresented identities can make to better negotiate and sell ourselves. And it also includes ways that managers and other folks around us can better support and advocate for women to be compensated and to be valued for what we're worth. So
1: I'm really excited for you to join us today, Claudia. Welcome. Thank you so much. And I'm so excited to be here and especially with some of the topics we're going to be discussing today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Claudia, can we start with your story? Uh, could you share where you grew up and how you made your way to becoming a career coach? All
1: right. So I was born in Guatemala and I came to the U.S. when I was four years old. So I'm the oldest in, one of my, in my family, and I'm also the first one to graduate past eighth grade. And now I hold a master's in public health policy and administration. And when I graduated from college, I did everything everyone told me. I did well in school, I did internships, I joined extracurricular activities, I networked. So I figured if I did everything, then once graduation came, and I started applying to jobs, then I was just going to get a slew of interviews, and I would get to hand select all these opportunities that I wanted to go after. And unfortunately, I had one interview, and thankfully, they offered me a job. But I, at that point, I felt helpless, hopeless and shamed and embarrassed because I, I didn't know what I was doing wrong. I did everything everyone told me to, but clearly that wasn't enough. And it didn't get me the results that I was looking for. So I knew then that I needed to figure out how am I going to advance in my career, especially knowing that I'm the only one in my family really going through this. It's not like I can connect with some of my family members or neighbors. So I knew I had to be very resourceful and I needed to figure this out. Otherwise, I'm going to continue to see myself in these type of positions. And I never wanted to be in that position ever again. And that's when I invested a lot in, you know, reading, courses, workshops. I worked career coaches. I worked with resume writers. And I feel almost felt like nothing couldn't really apply or work for me, especially because I am Latina. So I'll take it into that cultural aspect of it as well. A lot related to my mindset, especially from humble beginnings. It was just a lot of things to get through. And when I really started seeing massive changes is when I started my site business as a virtual admin. And I applied business principles to my career. And that's when things just started shifting. It started skyrocketing. And I was able to pay me from finance to education, to healthcare, to healthcare tech. And every single time I see that $30,000 salary increase, at least, And I was probably only 30% qualified, but I still got the job and I was still very successful in that role, so much that I was handpicked by the CEO to lead specific projects and task forces.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Awesome. And then, so how did you go from there to being a career coach? You just, it got inspired by your changes, obviously. (laughs) Yeah. So a lot of my friends and family now, they were asking, well, how did you do that? And I ended up going to an event about how to gain publicity. And this was more geared towards my business. And I was talking to one of the editors at Business Insider and somehow came to the topic about my career. And she's like, wait, you received a 30K increase? How did you do that? And I'm like, well, it's about principles. And all of a sudden, I found myself in front of Business Insider in a four-part article where it highlighted that. And all of a sudden, I had over a million views, I think, in a day or two. And all of a sudden, people are asking me, and I didn't feel comfortable at the time because I only had tested it with friends and myself. So I did it almost like some cases were pro bono and I started testing this out. Will it work across various industries and different levels of experience? And actually, it worked out better for them. So now I've had clients that have received anywhere between 30 and even up to $140,000 in additional earned income. And they've been able to pivot across various industries, landed their first manager, director, and you know, executive roles. And I primarily work with women and women of color. So even seeing more women and senior leadership roles really fulfilled that mission aspect as well. Plus seeing them and finally gaining that confidence and having control of their career um, really helped with the empowerment, not only for myself, because that's something I want to enjoy doing, but also for them and really seeing all of a sudden that change that they have in mindset.
0: Yeah. And I, I think it's really important too that it, not everybody changes jobs because they want a salary increase. There's a lot, a huge, a growing number of people that are, that have changed jobs over the last couple of years in particular that are looking for a career change, looking for, um, more meaningful work. And, and when you do that, when you're pivoting in any kind of a way too, you have to retell your story, right? You have to rethink, you know, and reposition yourself as well, right?
1: Correct. Yeah. And a lot of them, you know, it's finding that fulfilling job. And especially since COVID working from home, a lot of them have had time to think and realize, I don't want to spend hours commuting. I don't want to spend hours in the office. I actually can get more done while at home. I can spend time with my family and even take care of some of the household things that I can help or take care of my elderly parents or you know, family members and all these opportunities just opened up and they realized that they could still do their job successfully from home. And now there's I've seen that massive change where they're finally realizing I don't know why I'm in this role, don't like it, or I'm not thriving in it, or I want to learn something else and I want to find actually a job that is fulfilling for me.
0: Absolutely. And then the last thing I will introduce is is just how many layoffs we've seen in the tech industry. I'm here in San Francisco and The tech industry has had a number of layoffs over the last um, several months. And as a result, there are a lot of folks that are looking to position themselves in the workplace um, for those new jobs, uh, whatever that looks like for them. So there are lots of different reasons that people are looking for career changes, um, moving up getting bigger salaries and compensation more than just salary right? And because they may have been laid off and, and so on. And so can you share some of the things that you see, especially when you're working with women of color in particular, what do you see? And I mean, you mentioned your story a bit. Do you see other folks with similar stories from different cultures experiencing similar things?
1: Yes, definitely. The biggest impact has been their confidence. So Mm -hmm. they've been either passed up for promotions or they've been told you're doing stellar work. Great job. We just don't have an opportunity for you to move upward right now at the moment. Oh, we can also give you a salary increase even though we've had record high numbers for the company this past year, but just keep doing the job. And because you don't have that manager director experience, why don't we have you put you in that job, have you do it for the next two to three years without any additional pay or increase in title and just take up those responsibilities so that way you can acquire that experience. And then, you know, we can reconsider giving you that job, title and salary increase. Whereas I don't see that as frequently as with men, but with women, they're being asked of this. And I do think that there's a two-part process where the company should not be asking their employees to do these roles. And you they should be having a process within their company to start developing upcoming leadership. You start grooming, you're creating mentorships, um, be able to forge different types of programs where they can shadow different organizations. So that way you have a leadership talent pipeline that can move up, not having the person take on additional responsibilities without the pay and without the title increase. But there's also the other component of how many times are we going to let this happen to us? At some point, they can only have this power if we allow them to. So we were to say, thank you, but I don't think that's reasonable or, you know, I just want to talk about an adjustment in compensation based on the added responsibilities. We do need to have accountability for ourselves and also ask for the pay increase because systemically, we know that we're not being paid fairly and equal as in comparison to our, you know, male counterparts. So really advocating for ourselves and having a company will be the ideal situation, But, you know, at times all I can focus on is, well, let's work on you as an individual and how we can help you and what is the best place for you to really succeed and thrive in and where can we find that fulfilling job, whether it's internally within your organization or we need to start working elsewhere.
0: Yeah, I want to talk too about there's, in addition to a wage gap, um, which Actually, I I, I think we talked about this as we were prepping for this call that there's a that that wage gap is actually increased. I don't know if you want to talk about that really quickly, and then I want to say something else.
1: Yes. um, Unfortunately, we've gone backwards when it comes to pay increases. And then just to give you some figures for women currently, women are getting paid 83 cents on the dollar, whereas African American women are getting paid 57 cents on the dollar, and Hispanic women are getting paid 49 cents on the dollar. And Native women are getting paid around 50 cents on the dollar. So we've actually pulled back. We've actually gone worse. We're getting paid less, especially COVID has really impacted primarily women and women of color and you know, communities from underrepresented communities and areas where it's been impacting us the most. And that's why it's even more vital to negotiate your salary. It's even more important to be able to know how to sell yourself and be able to ask and know that you are well-deserving of that salary as well.
0: Yeah. And so I want to add on to that, that in addition to the wage gap, there's two things. One is there's an equity gap when women are working with startups. So women and people of color work at startups, they tend to get less equity in those startups. And there's a lot of other bonuses and other other things that go into compensation. So overall, there's a compensation gap. And then on top of that, there is an expectation Gap. And I think that's where it gets to the confidence um, and perhaps the um what people might call imposter syndrome or that that not asking for what you're worth. But there's also an expectation gap where 65% of the time a woman's salary expectation is lower than a man when they're applying for the same job at a company, right? So in our minds, probably because we've been paid less over time, right? But in our minds, we're not expecting as high of a salary either. And that all plays into it. it. It it widens as women get older. As they reach their mid-30s, it continues to rise, right? So it's increasing as we continue to work in our workplaces. And then um, it also is wider for Black women and men and Latinas as well. You know, so changing that expectation is really important too. And I think that is a part of the confidence you were talking about. And maybe we could talk about that. What are some ways that we can build that confidence? What are some ways that you build that confidence with your clients, your individual clients?
1: Well, one, first letting them know that, I mean, I can quickly know based on their experience, just talking with them, whether they're being underpaid or they're paid fair market wages. Usually I have yet to come across a client that is making well above market range. (laughs) So most of the time I let them know based on your experience and what you've been doing, You actually been doing the two roles and usually we're getting paid this much, but we know that you're already being underpaid. So one comes that self-awareness and then where we start increasing that confidence is, you know, working on mindset and really understanding that, you know, what are some of those misconceptions we tend to have when it comes to salary and depending on how their upbringing is and some cultural norms, and just to kind of tell a little bit more, at least as a Latina, is we're told that we should just be grateful if we're offered a job and we should not to our own horn or be bragging about ourselves. And instead, we should be, you know, working really hard and eventually we'll get recognized for our work. And that's not how it works usually mm-hmm. in usually corporate America. You have to tell them what you're doing. And it's just making that shift of saying, what are some of the behaviors you've been doing throughout your career? What are some of these concepts or misconceptions that we have in regards to asking for more or getting for asking for that promotion? And once we get to the root cause, then we can start reframing it. So a lot of the things that I have to work with my clients is it's not bragging; it's just communicating data. And we want to make sure we're logging our work that we're doing because we don't even remember what we did three, four months ago. And I would probably have to look at my calendar to even know what what was I doing at that time. Let alone what I did for the entire year. And if we can't remember that, how can we expect our managers to remember that as well? So that's why it's important to really document the work that you're doing, the impact. What is the magnitude? People tend to learn differently when you create more specifics around metrics and what was the outcome and what were some of the challenges and some things that were learned throughout the projects. Now we start creating that brand value. Now all of a sudden we're increasing the magnitude of our work and naturally, a lot of my clients just started realizing how much value they're actually bringing to the company. They just thought that they were doing X, Y, and Z, or I was just doing this marketing campaign. I didn't know that my marketing campaign brought in over $300 million that now they've been able to create a whole new department. They were able to hire an additional 5,000 employees, but to them, it was just a marketing campaign. But we want to also focus on what is the value and the outcome to the company. And all of a sudden, you can start seeing their confidence rising. All of a sudden, it comes out in their resume, in their cover letter, on their LinkedIn. And when they're interviewing, they know their numbers. And all of a sudden, they know they're a great fit for this role. And they know that they should be asking for this specific salary because of the value that they're bringing. If they can generate $30 million in one year through five you know, marketing campaigns, I can ask for $140,000. Like mm-hmm. I do more than pay, I with my work, I more than pay for my own uh, salary at that point.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that also applies for when you're doing your internal performance reviews as well, right? As a friend of mine told me once recently that anytime you have a performance review, you should already know exactly what's going to happen in that performance review because you're the one that's managing it, right? You're coming and saying, this is what I have done. This is what I plan to do. And that in itself also, performance reviews are really uh, tied in most companies to compensation as well. And so there are ways that you can, you don't have to jump from job to job necessarily to be more fairly compensated.
1: Yes. And I would even add to that sometimes, and I've seen this in companies where they'll have a performance review, but it's after leadership has already nominated who they're bringing for a promotion, who's getting a salary increase, and how much they're receiving. So even for some, I would even recommend that even try to reach out to HR or ask your manager of, by when do they typically have to send a nomination for promotions and salary increases? Because it could be a month or two before your performance review, and you cannot wait to your performance review to tell your manager how great of a job you did. Sometimes we need to move that conversation upward and then start having that discussion and even understanding on an HR perspective of what are some of the qualifications Further guidelines or policies in order for someone to receive a promotion? And what is a cap sometimes when it comes to salary increase? Because there are some organizations where, unfortunately, I've heard HR hiring manager, they don't tell this to the employee, but they tell it to me because I, I like to keep a good pulse of what the market is doing. And they'll tell me, I know my employees are underpaid and I just can't give them the salary increase they deserve. And what HR told me or the HR policies is that they have to go apply elsewhere, get a job offer. That's competitive. Then I can bring it into HR and then we can have a discussion on how we can adjust their pay. So some policies and systems are almost set up for the employee to leave. And at that point, why is the employee going to stay when they weren't even valued? Whereas this company can see their value and they're paying what they deserve and they just rather go elsewhere. So it's a really system and policy that just isn't set up to be working how they expected it to work in the beginning.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so uh, i think you're you're moving into a new topic which is uh, how can companies really set acknowledge what we just talked about that there is that expectation gap that there is we know a compensation gap as well and we're to address that and one of the ways is yes, yeah, reducing those barriers and hindering um those hindrances right
1: yeah i would say and this is a quote i just read and i loved it because it said when a hiring manager is telling the HR person, we can't afford to give them that raise that they want. That's when the HR person should say, well, then that means you definitely need to give it to them. Because if you can't afford the raise, we can't afford to hire someone out externally. It's going to cost more, not only for salary, because they're going to want more competitive market rates, but also because it's going to cost money to find a candidate. It's going to delay time for us to hire. Then the onboarding time." And at times employees are asking for an extra 10, 15 or $20,000 that is reasonable and very competitive. Yet companies won't give it to them. But once that employee brings in that, you know, two weeks notice and says, I'm leaving. All of a sudden, you know, what can we do for you? You want the title? We'll give you the title. We'll give you the salary increase. We'll match that salary offer. And at that point, it's too late. Had they done that and done the right thing from the beginning, they wouldn't be having these conversations. That's a lot of the positions that my clients are in. Some of them, that all of them, want to leave, but they found out that they were being grossly underpaid. I had a client who was making almost fifty thousand dollars less than her direct employees once she was promoted to a manager, and she had been there longer than everyone else, and actually created one of like the top solutions in the industry. That was it. W- it wasn't even existed in the marketplace yet. She was getting paid fifty thousand dollars more than her direct less employees. Less. Yeah. So all of these things is like, how can we avoid that? Well, one is understanding how can we audit this? This is a system issue as well. How do we audit this? Where are they now? And understanding like, well, how can we start making these changes? And why is there such a huge discrepancy when it comes to salaries? There shouldn't be a hundred thousand dollar difference when it's the same type of responsibility. And then even after that is really understanding of, you know, what is happening and One of the things that I've seen is companies sometimes almost punish their loyal employees. They'll say, we can only give 8-10% raises if you get a promotion, and but yet they're willing to pay 30-40% more when they hire externally. And now their internal employees are the ones that are loyal, who have a lot of knowledge from the industry or the company itself, are the ones being penalized here, and they're not giving the appropriate salary, but yet they're more than happy to offer that external candidate. So having these systems again within their company is really imperative to understand of like, what are the outcomes and what it can lead to towards the end?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I want to offer a few other solutions too. And maybe we talk about them together is that if you're a manager, if you're a hiring manager, or if you're an HR and a part of the hiring process, you know, one of the things that happens when you ask, what are your salary expectations is there's the, right at the surface, there's that expectation gap, right? And so making sure that you're addressing that, that that you can ask the expectations, but don't anchor the salary on those expectations, anchor the salary on the number that you should have for all people under that same role, right? And um, negotiations as well. There are definitely companies out there that have eliminated negotiations entirely, because when you have negotiations like that, you're it's generally a type A kind of extrovert um that's going to better advocate for themselves, somebody that has a high level of confidence that's going to advocate for themselves more, somebody that has a higher level of financial security because if you're negotiating, you're willing to walk away and some people are less able to do that, right. So all of that is that negotiation itself could be reduced or eliminated to and setting those salary bands or the salary and other compensation so that it is equitable across all folks is really important as well. Anything you'd add?
1: Yeah, I would say that even now with like the salary transparency, I like the fact that they're doing that and that way candidates get to choose. But even now I still hear where, and this is just only across certain states, but there's still HR people and hiring managers asking for salary expectations, but yet they're not willing to share what they're Budget is for the specific role. So, how can we expect transparency when the company itself is not being transparent? At the end of the day, what I tell my clients is, and kind of you touched on this earlier, where we don't negotiate or women don't negotiate, and therefore we continue to have, you know, going to the next role or we get promoted. And it almost starts compounding that gap, that discrepancy versus what the market is actually paying. And the analogy that I like to use is, you know, almost like house buying. And people, the strategy people tend to use is, well, if I'm making, and just to make things easier, if I'm making $100,000, my next job, I want to get paid around $110, dollars I think it's around, it's appropriate versus saying, well, I'm getting paid $100,000, but for this type of a job and my responsibilities and my skill set, this pays $150,000. So therefore, I'm going to ask for $150,000. It's very competitive in the marketplace. But people tend to base it off on of what they're currently making. And if you already did not negotiate and we already know you're being grossly underpaid, it just starts compounding and you're just adding an extra $10,000, $15,000, not realizing that you are $70,000, $80,000 behind. And that's why I've helped my clients make up that difference where they've some of them received even up to $80,000 more just because they were being so underpaid for so long. And the analogy that I like to use is like house buying. Melinda, if you bought a house for $100,000, Uh, You know, let's just say five years ago, and now you want to sell it, and I'm offering you $300,000, are you going to say, God, no, Connie, I only paid $100,000. Let me sell it to you for $120,000. It just makes sense. I don't think anyone in their right mind will probably say that. They'll say, yes, sold for $300,000. Same thing when it comes to your salary. We don't base it on how much we're currently making. We base it on what the market is paying for that specific skill set or that specific job. And that's how we need to start doing it. That's how you don't fall behind in your, you know, what you're getting paid. And it's not all about the money, but if you're doing the work, you might as well get compensated fairly and you can decide what you want to do. And I know with salary, it's never about the salary, but it's about the options that it can give you, especially for underrepresented communities, what it can do and the impact that it can make within our communities, within future generations and what we do with it.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely. and. As managers are really looking to create change, as HR folks, people leaders are working to create change, as companies overall are working to create change, what would you suggest that they do to improve, to place more women in leadership roles, to um, support women and in growing into those leadership roles?
1: Definitely, I would say, if possible, and especially if it's like an organizational level, like how we built a leadership talent pipeline. So not only do, you know, ask people to almost handpick or advocate saying, you know, I want to be considered, I want to put myself and I want to be part of this training, but to your point, and also almost it's geared towards those extroverts who are more than happy and have that confidence, but also having managers really nominate, knowing that, you know, they have leadership skill sets, they'll be great. And on understand like, what does the overall leadership look like? Not only just in the executive board, but also in the board itself. And you know we've seen data where you know when we have more women or a very diverse leadership board, there's increase in profitability, there's increase in innovation, and mitigates risk. So how can we start developing that? How can we start creating that diverse leadership, and also creating sponsorships and mentorship opportunities, whether it's in within that department or within the organization itself? That's how you can support and advocate, and always you know just because they said. Let's just say that they're, they're looking for $120,000, but you know you can pay one fifty. dollars why not offer them that 140 dollars dollars that they deserve? Just because that person doesn't know for whatever reason, you have to You can say, well, this is already what we had budgeted for. We understand that value because maybe that candidate doesn't know now that they deserve that pay, but if they find out later, they're either going to leave or they're going to be a disgruntled employee. So it's just overall the right thing to do. Plus, it also it improves with motivation and with confidence and they can understand the value of their bringing. And as a manager, you can also help and educate and understanding overall how is the department performing? How is their work that they're doing impacting the overall company in itself? And where is that value stemming from? So really having these resources and becoming an advocate for them is really going to help not only, you know, for you as a leader, but also in creating that diverse leadership that we're seeking.
0: Yeah, just to give an example, it uh, it just popped into my head that a few years ago, um, we were taking on a new team member. And they said, well, this is how much I want for my salary. Thinking, and I could see it, they were thinking that, um, that that was a lot in their eyes. And I said, no, you're not going to get that. you're going to get this bigger number because that's the the going market rate, right? That we need more managers that do that 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 say, no, wait a minute, we're not taking just because somebody thinks that they're worth less <laughs> than they are. Um, we're not taking that. We're saying that they're worth what they are, and we're giving them that that compensation. I think that is that is really important as an ally as a leader to invest in your team. And there is lots of data that shows that if you have disparity in wage that most people find out one way or another, right? And um, even if it's not transparent, most people figure that out at some point. And when they figure it out, most of them, most of the people who figure out they leave, right? And so you want to be transparent but also be equitable from the beginning be fair in in your wages from the beginning and and note when somebody may have an expectation gap when somebody may not have the confidence or lots of other things have come into play over the years that have changed how they present themselves mm-hmm.
1: And I would even add that even if you're a new manager and realize that some of your employees are being really underpaid, and it's up to you as a manager to be able to ask and say, well, how did this happen? How could I make it fair and make it right? And you might have not been, you might have been the previous manager that wasn't ready for that, but doing that really means a lot. And I actually had a client that, similar to that client, that she was being underpaid by $50,000 it was her previous manager, received a new manager, and this manager now was an advocate and an ally. Oh wow! And yeah. after that, he was able to get an extra 30% salary increase for her. And they actually accounted the three years of the job she did without the title and with the salary as part of her overall experience. And now she was already being positioned for a director position. So that really demonstrated great leadership skills as a manager. And now she really values that mentor, that manager, and the advocacy behind it, and now realizing how important it is now that she's leading her team as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's great. Anything else that we, we haven't covered yet that is really important for folks to, to know more about when it comes
1: to this topic? Yeah, definitely. When it comes to I mean, overall, I think our conversation has been really around sound negotiation itself, too, is really understanding of like, there's a lot of preparation that comes around it. And it's not just, well, let me pick some numbers out of the air. It's really understanding your research and practicing it. And one of the things that I would know is depending on who you are with and who you're around with is be careful of who you're telling that you're going to negotiate your salary. And what I mean by that is, like I mentioned, my family and my culture is you know, be grateful for what you have. Don't rock the boat. Just take the offer and just work quietly and you'll get promoted. So even after I had negotiated my multiple jobs at this point, and I shared with my mom that I was going to negotiate this upcoming offer. All of a sudden, the negativity came around. And this unbeknownst to her, she, that's just how, you know, she thinks at this moment. That's when I started realizing, well, thankfully I've already done this multiple times and I'm very confident in this and I know how to do this. But if you've never done this and you kind of see some hints of people maybe not being very supportive of that, it's probably best not to share that information because it can really mess up with your mindset. And that's when you want to practice on your own, do your research, contact, you know, two to three levels above, ask them, you know, what is the true salary range and what makes them offer them the higher end of that salary range? Like what are those specific skill sets? And now there's companies that do a lot of salary transparency as well because of you know law and everything happening so doing that research is really going to be important practicing it and who you're sharing that with is really going to help you ensure your success on this journey
0: yeah and something we haven't really touched on much yet too is more than the negotiation of the salary right is in order to um, step into leadership roles we also have to position ourselves as leaders and tell our stories. As a leader and and that gathering of data that you talked about earlier, making sure that we're gathering data that shows that we have that leadership capacity. Is there anything you can recommend for folks to really think about how they position themselves as a leader to move up in an organization or move up in the industry?
1: Yeah, I would say almost like a two-part approach where you, I always recommend to reach out to one, or two, one and two levels above you because they've already been in that role. They know how they got there and what is most important to that role in itself. So really asking them, like, what is most important? What are the hardest skills to hire for? What are some of the most challenges? What surprised you the most once you landed that first director or executive role? And having these answers, once you ask enough people, you'll start seeing a trend. And what's really important. And then also as an individual right now is, I call it the achievement portfolio. And that's when you want to start documenting everything that you've been doing. And like I mentioned, we don't remember what we do. And some of us may have different types of roles where there may be multiple projects or it could be just one or two big projects in the year. And you can notate this wherever you feel most comfortable. I usually use a Google Drive and it will be like a one pager. And it'll be like, what is the purpose of this project? Why am I doing this? And if you don't know the why, ask your manager, ask, you know, other Departments to understand like why is this very important? Why is this important to you? And how do you leverage what I use or do in order for you to fulfill your job successfully? So understanding the why is going to be important. What is the scope of work? How is what what is a when we achieve success? What does that look like? What were the steps taken? What were some of the challenges and obstacles? And what would you do differently had you done this role again or this project again? And with enough time within the year, you'll have a really sized portfolio. Of all the work that you've done. And now it's easier to sell yourself and be able to tell that story. Because you can say, you know, in the past year, I've worked on over 25 projects, and this has impacted over you know, 5 million of our users. And of that, because of that, we were able to create or develop new products or services. And now those products and services have created over $30 million in additional revenue. But again, you need to understand what you're doing and the impact of your work in order to really be able to sell yourself and be able to communicate and really work on your branding. But if you don't know what you're doing, it's going to be really hard to be able to sell yourself and brand yourself because you're going in blindly. So you want to make sure that you have that information, the data And you're talking to networks to really understand what is the most important thing, why do you need to highlight that? And why is it very important to the upper hiring managers to really highlight these different types of skill sets?
0: Awesome. And so thinking back to the Claudia that applied to all of these jobs and got one offer, (laughs) um, what would you do differently
1: knowing what you know now? Definitely. I would have started networking a lot sooner and I wasn't networking the right way. I thought I was networking, wasn't networking at all. So I definitely would have networked. Um, and when I network, it's usually around, I'll reach out to 30 to 40 people and I'll get about a 20, 30% response rate. So if I'm reaching out to, you know, 40 people or so, I would have talked to about eight to 10, really understood what were, you know, like I mentioned, you know, what are the hardest skills to hire for in this type of role? What is most important? And, you know, what is a true salary range for a role? Most people will not tell you what a salary range is for that currently, But when you're two, three levels above and you ask them, you know, back in the day when you were, Hmm. you know, an entry level, do you, you know, what is a good salary range? I can, I should be asking people are comfortable sharing that information. They might say, oh, back in the day, I used to get paid this much, or they might say, you know what? It's been a while since I've done that role, but this is how much I pay my employees and it's within this range. Once they offer you that advice is, well, what makes you offer them the higher end of that salary range? And we're understanding what is that skill set? Is it something I can acquire on a weekend? Is it like a Udemy course? Is it just having a foundation of knowledge? Or maybe you already have that, but that's something you need to really highlight because you know that's very valuable to that specific hiring manager type. And then once I've gathered that information, then worked on my resume, my cover letter. I don't think LinkedIn was popular back then, but had it been now, I would update my LinkedIn profile. Worked on my interviewing skills, really workshop that in. So when the time came, I can leverage those networks, find opportunities, apply to jobs with a really well written resume as well. And I will be ready for any interview, whether it happened tomorrow or in a week, because I've already prepared for these types of conversations. I already know the compensation that I want and that I'm going to be asking for and how to pull these levers to position me as a sought after candidate.
0: Awesome. I love it. Uh, So, At the end of every episode now, I ask if you could share what is one action that you would like people to take coming away from this episode today? What action would you like people to take? Well, one question
1: I have for them is, how do you know you're not being underpaid? How do you know? And you might say, why negotiate my salary? Just because you negotiate your salary doesn't mean you're not being underpaid. How do you know you're not being underpaid? So if you want to know and you truly want to understand, well, I don't know if I'm not being underpaid, best way is to reach out to people that are two to three levels above you. So if you're a manager, reach out to a director or senior director. If you're an individual contributor, reach out to a manager or director level, whether it's internally, externally, through your networks, or you want to go and contact people through LinkedIn and then ask that question. You know, I would love your expertise and insights. You know, I've been in this role or I've been in this industry for quite some time. And I'm looking to move to the next step in my career, but I want to know what is the true salary range for this role? And once you ask enough people, you'll start seeing that range and then you get to choose what range you want to be in. Not just because that's what's given. If it's a $30,000 range, well, I want to be in the top 10,000. So ask yourself, how do I know I'm not being underpaid? And then go and execute and figure out, are you being underpaid? Yes or no? Because I guarantee. At least 98% of your listeners are probably being underpaid, (laughs) especially if you've been in your role for over three years at the same company. Mm -hmm. Great. And Claudia, where can people learn more about you and your work? At claudiatmiller.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn, um, Claudia T. Miller, and on Instagram as well, at Claudia T. Miller. Fantastic. Thank you for this conversation.
0: Appreciate you. Thank you so much, Melinda. We'll share resources and a transcript from this discussion at ally.cc. And please make sure to subscribe to our channel and rate this show. It makes a difference for us. Thank you for being part of our community. And remember, the more we take action, the more we grow as humans and as leaders, and the more we transform our communities. So what action will you take today? Let us know your actions by emailing podcast at changecatalyst.co or reaching out on social media. And Leading with Empathy and Allyship is a show by Change Catalyst where we build inclusive innovation through training, consulting, and events. You can learn more about us at changecatalyst.co. So let's keep building allyship across our communities and around the world. Thank you for listening.